Welcome to the ISTC monthly podcast, where you can keep up to date with what's going on at the ISTC and in technical communications in the UK and globally. The ISTC is the Institute for Scientific and Technical Communicators, and our members work to make scientific and technical information more accessible. I'm Amanda Marr, your host. I'm a member of the ISTC and a freelance technical author. Each month, I plan to bring you interviews with people working in technical communication across a diverse range of industries, as well as all the latest news and events from our profession. This month, I'm talking to Imogen Craigmile, technical author at Peerbridge, part of the WiseTech Global Group, who provides software solutions to the logistics industry. Based in Yorkshire, Imogen started in journalism before moving to technical communications three years ago. Welcome to the ISTC podcast, Imogen. Hello. Um, so it's good to have you here. Before we start, is it possible that you could give us a bit of an idea of what the logistics sector is and where your product kind of fits in? Yeah, so the logistics industry can be sort of anything from sending parcels like personally from a friend to a friend, or it can be on a, a much bigger scale. We deal with a lot of orders like warehouse orders, so really big bulk shipments. It encompasses a whole range of send, like sending items around the world. Oh, right. There's a lot that goes on behind the scenes, and our software contributes to that. Specifically, Peerbridge um, operates in North America um, the most. That we're actually based um, in America, but we have the office in York, and I think we have a few places around, like around America. But that's mostly where our shipping takes place. Recently, about I think two years ago, we were acquired by WiseTech Global, which is why we're part of the WiseTech Global Group, and um, they ship like internationally. They have companies under them all over the world. So now that we're integrating with them, I think it's going to open up a lot of possibilities for us, which is nice. Good. So what are the main documents that you are involved in in the company as a tech author? So mostly it's maintaining, creating release notes for the software releases. That's my main job. But these go on a website which have user guides and like how-to videos and things like that as well for users. So I do a lot of that. But yeah, release notes is probably day-to-day -day what I work on. Yeah. Yeah. And so do you get involved in creating the user guides as well and the videos? A little bit. So originally the website was more just the written word. And then, then Peerbridge started a learning and training team and oh. we liaise with them. Yeah. And they use a lot of what we've written, like the user guides to turn that into videos. But um, they often like run them past us to double check everything is as it should be. Yes. Yeah. Make sure it's accurate. Yeah. Yeah. So for your perspective as a technical communicator, who is your audience? Who do you see that you're writing for? We're writing a lot for resellers who sell our products on to smaller companies. I think that's like our main audience, but also the software engineers that then install the product on um, devices for these companies as well. It's kind of like technically minded people. Do you need to make sure that you're using the right kind of terms, technical terms? Yeah, definitely. At the same time, though, we do offer some apps which 
I know that I think we have a personal shipping app, which I know can be used by the individual to send like their own parcels. So yeah, it has to be like easy to read and not too technical. Um, it's sometimes a hard um, line to bridge. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, I'd say that as well, like it, it, when I've been using and testing the product, I'd say I'm like a non-techie person really, even though I'm working for a software yeah. company. When I came into it, I knew like very little about it, um, but I think that was good. I think that might be a reason why I was hired to have that kind of perspective, to look at it from a non-technical point of view, not know what's going on and then try and write it for that kind of person. Yeah, exactly. It's having that different perspective because traditionally a lot of software documentation was written by the developers and they uh, assumed a level of knowledge and understanding of how it all works. And it requires somebody to be able to put themselves in the shoes of the network guy or the network person, because I used to do it, installing their software on their servers in their company and trying to work out how to make it all work. So that part of the product, is that for people selling things online? And, and does that allow them to do the parcel shipping? Yeah, we had quite a famous use case where an author in America used our software uh, during the first lockdown to send out a book that he'd written about his child. Um, and we actually were able to go on a call with him and he was just saying like how great it was to have that and to use our software to do that. And it's something good that's come out of lockdown and the COVID pandemic. So that's nice. Oh, that's really great. It's, it's important to try and find the good things that have come out of this. Given that you are creating documents and putting them on your company website, do you use any tools to do that? Yes, we use a really good tool. It's called Madcap Flare. It's great. So within it, we write using HTML5, which we had to learn. Um, and we did a training course on that with Matthew Ellison. I'm going to name drop, but it's oh. a great course for anyone yeah, who's good. wanting to yeah. learn. Yeah, he's a great tutor and it was all online, um, you know, even before COVID. But yeah, so but he's really, really good. And it's a really good tool. It houses like all the skins for our website. So, you know, what it looks like, the color scheme and the fonts and the logos. And then we write the content and then we push it out to different brands. So I think the best way of describing it is it's a place for single source publishing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so it goes to a lot of different places, but we only have to write it once and then we can condition it with different conditions and variables. And there's all these different targets because we do staging releases and production releases. And one of our brands is often in staging longer than the other two. So if we want to push to production, we can keep that one in staging. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's quite good. Do you have any standards that you have to work by? We have a guide that actually we helped to create when me and my colleague first joined. So that's like the writing procedures. But um, I think we definitely use simplified technical English for the writing, you know, so that everyone can understand it. It's quite a good way of writing. But then we have very specific, you know, the way a release note is presented. We have the work item number it's come from, if it's got a Salesforce case associated with it, and then we have to kind of summarize quite a complicated bug fix or feature into a few lines because we don't want to overwhelm the user. <laughs> oh, yeah. So you have to kind of explain that there's a fix, but you don't want to go into too much detail to frighten them. Is that what you mean? 
Yeah, and because sometimes it can be quite a complicated back-end fix that a user doesn't really need to know. They just need to know that something's fixed. So you have to kind of summarize that. Also, they do want a bit of detail because you can't just put, you know, so-and-so is fixed because X. You know, it has yeah. to be a bit... Yeah. There is a reason um, why we're fixing this. It's really important. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would say it's more fun writing features because sometimes we get like new carriers. Um, recently, we've acquired quite a few new carriers due okay. to this. So we explain what a carrier is. A carrier is, for an example of a carrier, would be like FedEx or UPS or DHL. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we document everything that you can use within the carrier, within our product. You know, there's different functions a carrier can, it can rate, track, void, ship. And we have to document that with the like corresponding database IDs for like onboarding the carrier into our product because not all of our users have the same carriers. Yeah. Yeah, but it can be quite fun documenting a new carrier and finding out a bit more about the carrier and where it's based. They're often based in America with our company. So, yeah, yeah, I prefer that sometimes to a bug fix. It's a bit more interesting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so I take it all the carriers may have slightly different ways of operating and slightly different things that they information that they want. They do. Definitely. People like FedEx, we're really linked within our company. So we offer a lot of different FedEx services compared to like a smaller carrier. I'm trying to think of an example of a smaller one. There's some that people, you know, that you really wouldn't have heard of, like Canpar, which is Canadian parcel. You know, they're quite small and we're not as associated with them. With FedEx, we get certified with FedEx every year, which means we have to perform a lot of tests, which I've taken part in. Like we have to prove that all the services are working within FedEx, within our product yeah um yeah and it's all displayed as they would like it to be you have to have all the trademarks in the right place and things like oh, that oh so you've got to make sure that they're displayed correctly the right size branding yeah. has to be right yes oh. Yeah. oh wow you have mentioned that you started with your colleague so i take it that means that you're not a, a sole tech author on your own you're in a team how big is your team there is just two of us. There used to be three of us. When we were hired, we were hired by a really excellent technical author. She used to be our boss, but then she moved on to follow a different path within technical authoring, though. So now it's just me and my colleague. But it is really nice to work with someone because I've heard about a lot of technical authors that work alone. And obviously, you're a freelancer, so it might get a bit lonely sometimes. But yeah, yeah I don't lonely. have that so much. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was really nice. We can like bounce off each other. And if you know, it's really funny, but when you're typing the same word like 10 times, it starts to look wrong. So if, just for example, yeah, something like as simple as, yeah. And yeah. if you didn't even think about the word, you just type it correctly. But then as soon as you yeah. go, oh, have I spelt that right? That's it. The seed of doubt is set. Yeah. That's weird. So, yeah. I'm glad you do that too. <laughs> like probably a common problem with our profession but yeah me and my colleague we can like ask each other which is nice it is really nice to have like a collaborative aspect to it in the introduction i told our listeners that you actually started as a journalist so what made you end up as a technical communicator how did you make that transition yeah i um i did a master's in journalism so that was uh, where i first went i did a bit of freelance journalism um, which was nice, but yeah, it came to a point where 
you can uh, well when I say freelance it was sort of like freelance but unpaid as well it was very like voluntary which I know to be, like to get into journalism you have to do but I was doing it for about a year and it did get to a point where I wanted to sort of start a career and you know lay down some roots or something like that <laughs> so, um, yeah I was just looking for like writing jobs near where I lived and this job came up and it sounded quite interesting because the company is you know it's quite cutting edge it's a software company, um, really vibrant, and um, quite a lot of like young people working there. So when so I went to see into it, all just seemed like a good fit. Yeah, yeah. and it's still writing, and I still do employ some of the things I learned in my degree because with the journalism degree, you learn to write for you know different audiences because in journalism you're not always writing for the same person. It's and it's kind of the same with this. Like I said, we have to write for like people who might be more technically minded, some people who aren't. And we do, and with the user guides, they're different to the release notes. That's a different style of writing. And obviously, I employ like everything I learned about good grammar and punctuation. So that's been really useful. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Have you come across any major problems with moving from journalistic types of writing to now having to write for a, a technical company? Yeah, a little bit. Because it is quite different with journalism, it's a bit more creative. You can be a bit more flowery with your language. And also, often it would be going out and, you know, finding a source of information. You know, I'd be writing about something that had happened locally because uh, this was in Manchester. So I'd be, you know, talking to a real person. Whereas with this, it is using software. The developers that we work with are great. We can talk to them. I mean, there's a lot of technical terms that sometimes just completely wash over my head and you can ask a developer to explain it and they kind of look at you like, how do you not know what I mean? Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, there's definitely some good websites that can help you. So there, there's something called the Tech Terms Dictionary website. And so you can just type in anything that they said to me. So I think just something as simple as a parameter, because it, there's some settings within our software and they have different parameters. And when I first joined, I was like, I don't understand what a parameter is in this. What does that mean? Yeah, exactly. In this setting. So, yeah, that really helped. Um, and then you, you don't feel like you're always bothering the developers because they are quite busy. So you don't want to always be nagging them, do you? So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So how do you work with the release cycle? Can you give us an idea of how it works and what happens? Well, everyone, we're always constantly working, I would say. So the developers are constantly developing either features or then doing bug fixes for the previous release. And then when they've got a good chunk of work, our product managers say, we've got enough for a release, let's tag things for the release. And that's when everything starts filtering through to us. When they've done their development work and it's been tested by the QA team, then the items come to us and we have something called a buffer board and we have channels. Mm -hmm. So me and my colleague have a channel and the work will come into our channel and then one of us or the other one will take it. But there's kind of usually enough for both of us to always be doing it. And then when I've written something, she'll peer review that. When she's written something, I'll peer review that. Oh, and okay. then we, we sort of draft it all in a Google document because, you know, they can be quite interactive. And then from there, we transfer it to Madcap Flare and review it. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. So you do the, the drafts and the reviewing through using yeah. Google. And then when you have yeah. it, then you transfer it across. Oh, okay. yeah. How many releases do you have on average through a year? Oh, that's a tough one because 
sometimes some some months can be very like you know it's sort of like every six weeks I would say but then sometimes if we're doing a support release because there's been a bug in the previous release and the product managers are saying we need to get this fixed out you know we can have them in the middle of the month and so it can vary which is another good thing about the job it's like no day is the same so in general we like to release on a Thursday and and sometimes a Monday but then I we just did a little release this morning actually because they were ready to push one to production so yeah you never know where you are actually sometimes it can it can vary all oh, right. I think they, they like to, yeah, in general, it likes to be like a six week sort of cycle. I think that's probably when they start looking at things like, oh, can we push a release out? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So um, one thing that we have in common is that um, we both ended up having the same ISTC mentor, didn't we? Yes. And I was just kind of wondering if you could give your perspective of the ISTC as somebody who's not long out of university it's your your first career job what do you think of the ISTC and what's your impression of it so I think it's a really useful tool for coming in to the industry not knowing a lot about it there's a lot of knowledge on the website um I do remember though when I first joined I looked at the website and I did just think oh this looks a bit a bit vintage yeah <laughs> Um, if I can say that, it, it's gone up leaps and bounds now for anyone who's looking at it. It looks really good. And my boss, she was really enthusiastic about it because she'd been part of the mentoring scheme. She'd had a really good mentor. So she got me and my colleagues straight onto having a mentor. And it's invaluable because my mentor, we set up a bit of a schedule. Uh, it began with a week, like a weekly phone call so I could run anything past him that I was struggling with or confused about. And he would give me like quite a lot of good stories and anecdotes about when he first started and how he felt. And then the more confident I got, it sort of started being once every two weeks, which is really nice. And now it's just kind of like a check-in every now and then and he often sends me resources and things that he's found and interesting ISTC articles he's found which makes me think of the communicator which is it's a quarterly magazine that the ISTC do that's really good to receive it's been really good again in this lockdown period um, because my work's committed to training and we get continual professional development time every oh. Friday that's good. And I will often, yeah, read the communicator during that time because it's, it's, and it's nice it's on a Friday as well. You can just kind of like wind down uh, for the week, read a bit of the communicator, still feel like, you know, you're learning something and you've not completely yeah. given up for the day That's or whatever. Great. Yeah. Yeah, your, your CPD time on a Friday afternoon. Excellent. It's so good. Yeah, that was another thing that was attractive about the job. I thought it's so nice that they're committed to training and it's not just 24-7 work, work, work. Um, yeah, that's sometimes really cool. up against the deadline, that that time can be taken up with work, but, yeah. but not always. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, the general theme is that you should have a bit of training time every week. That's great. That's really good. But yes, yeah, I found because my very first job as a technical author, I was on my own and I got the offer of a mentor at the same time. And I was like, yes, please. If I, I just need someone to bounce things off. So I used to do kind of weekly phone calls. And then as you know what you're doing, as you say, it peters off and your confidence grows, doesn't it? But I still contact him every now and again. Yeah. And it's friendship now. Every now and again, I go, oh, somebody's asked me about this and I don't think about it. And um, and he'll go, ah, oh, yes, I did that. He just, <laughs> He's a fountain of knowledge, isn't he? I've he got a document lot. on that somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, 
He's really good. Yeah. Given that you are now a, a technical communicator, is there anything about your previous writing or skills that you find are ideally suited suited you to being a technical communicator? Um, yeah, a little bit. So I have always been someone who I do like to ask a lot of questions, which is something that does come naturally with with the journalism. You have to ask a lot of questions. So coming into this, I do think I nagged my boss so much asking like every little question. And then with the developers, um, I will ask a lot of questions and I'll be like, actually, I still don't understand what is X, Y and Z. Um, so, yeah, I think I did have like a predisposition to asking lots of questions, getting to the bottom of it, really trying to understand it before I write anything. I'm not someone who can sort of wing it and just be like, oh, I think I know what's going on. You know, la, 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 I'll write this. Like, I have to really understand it before I write something. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. But that is that that is part of the job is that what you write is accurate. And the only way it can be accurate is if you understand it. There's a great saying by, I would say, Albert Einstein. Oh, no, I'm going to try and remember it now. Albert Einstein said, if you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it well enough. That sounds good. And I think um, that is a very good quote for what you just explained. It makes me think as well, for my interview, um, we were set a task and you had to explain how to make a cup of tea to an alien to an alien that landed on this planet and had no idea about anything. Oh, and excellent. What, that was the task, yeah. And so, it, and it's, it's and people have, I don't know, people in our profession have probably heard of that kind of like idea before, but actually when you sit down and think about it, you can't say go to the cupboard because an alien doesn't know what a cupboard is. So you have to begin by describing the cupboard. You have to do left and right and, and everything. And what a tea bag is, like you can't just say tea bag. It has to be you know, leaves within or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. Exactly. And I must have done a good job because I got hired, but I always remember that. Um, unless it was totally rubbish and she thought, don't worry, I can sort you out. <laughs> I think I think I did an all right job of that. I really liked it actually when I took a step back and then I went on to two pages writing steps for an alien to make a cup, a cup of tea. So. Oh, yeah. She was probably very impressed then. Yeah. <laughs> It was good, yeah. It's a good yeah. thing to do. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. Right, I think we've covered everything. So, yeah, I think so. Thank you very much for joining us today, Imogen. That was really, really fascinating to find out about your work in the logistics industry. You can get in touch with Imogen at her LinkedIn page. Yeah. And now for some news. The spring edition of the Communicator Journal should have popped through your letterbox this month. The authoritative and award-winning journal for UK technical communicators is focusing on language, including articles on the links between trade, standards and language by Liz Barlow. And Ben Masters looks at the use of language and grammar in copywriting. The journal is free to ISTC members, but you can get a copy by subscribing on the ISTC website. Just go to istc.org.uk and click on publications. The UK Technical Communications Awards for 2021 have opened for entries. The awards recognise the value of clear, concise and effective information products. The closing date is the 31st of July and more information can be found at their website, uktcawards.com. Some other things to look forward to next month. On the 8th of April, 
Techcom Denmark have an online meetup with Stina Jensen discussing terminology. Just Google Techcom Denmark events to find the link and register. Techcom Europe are continuing with their monthly webinars on the 15th of April with a discussion on the psychology of design and how it affects audience expectations of usability. Search Techcom and webinars to find the link. That's Techcom spelled T-E-K-O-M. Or you can go to their website, technical-communication.org forward slash techcom forward slash webinars. TC UK Online has its monthly lunchtime webinar on the 15th of April as well. Seems to be a popular date this month. This month's talk is about the UK Technical Communications Awards entry process for anyone thinking about or currently entering the UK TC Awards this year. And finally, Adobe have a free online event, Adobe Summit, the Digital Experience Conference, spanning three days in April from the 27th to the 29th. You can find out more details and register online at summit.adobe.com. That's it for this month. Join me again next month when I will be talking about tech comms in the world of finance with David Farby, Technical Consultancy Director at Myriad Associates. If you have a question about the podcast, email me at istc at istc.org.uk. A new episode of this podcast is released on the last Friday of every month. I want to thank Imogen Craigmile for being my interviewee this month and thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe and share. You can find out more about the ISTC at istc.org.uk or just search ISTC on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. See you next month. Goodbye.